Well, being it's our ninth anniversary, you would assume that I would give a message on our ninth anniversary. No, I'm going to go in the book of Romans. That's the only thing I know what to do. And so would you turn with me? For those of you that have been here, we've been going through the book of Romans. For those of you that, that have, uh, have not, we, we are really having a, uh, what I would consider a wonderful time in this great book. We're in the third chapter. And we're going to take a look at a place where I believe Paul wants us to be so assured of our faith that when we walk out of here, there would be no, no hesitancy of what we believe and to whom we believe and the, 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 the assurance of our salvation. I mean, I believe that's the whole purpose. Paul has set the tone. He has allowed the people to see that without Christ, they are absolutely, utterly hopeless. And that's what he did in chapters 1, 2, and 3. And now we come to the most amazing of places within the third chapter. And I want to read with you, please, if you would read with me the, the, the rest of chapter 3. We're, let's read from verse 23 to verse 31. Paul writes, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness, because in the forbearance of God He passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is, it is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is He not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since indeed God, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, is one. Do we, do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. Paul is making a case here. He is allowing us to know that the faith of the people in the Old Testament carries through to the faith of the people in the New Testament. And he is saying that it's not changed. Just the, the, the whole premise of God is, is the same. But in the Old Testament, they looked forward to a coming Messiah. They had no idea that he was going to die on the cross. They, they just knew that the coming Messiah was, come, was going to come and they were going to look forward to him. And they had every clue, though. And as we read out of Isaiah last week, when Isaiah spoke of the suffering, suffering servant that was to come, talking of the Messiah. Well, we in the New Testament, we look backwards. And where we come to is the same place that they come to. And that is faith because of what happened upon the cross. And what Paul is trying to do for you and for me this morning is to assure us of how and where we stand in our faith. It is my contention that there is nothing more miserable than to be not assured of your salvation. And for those of us who are half-empty people, it's hard because all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And there's times when perhaps you, like me, feel that 
what is it really all about? What, what, what have I done that I, I always seem to mess up? I always seem to fall short. And I wonder about just who I am in Christ. And Paul understands that. And he wants to reach into your heart and my heart. And he wants to assure us of who we are in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so I think of no better day than our ninth anniversary than to, to preach this message that, that, that gives us the assurance of our faith. And I, I believe that, that the words of Paul will, will, will help your heart. I want to thank you for being here. I look around and I see this is exciting. And Mickey just told me we, had, we have uh, this, this particular weekend over 100 more people than normal. So thanks for coming back. Thank you so much. Can't tell you. Just yep, just the beginning. Can't tell you how much I love you very much. Let's pray. I did read the scriptures. Let's pray. Father, please, would you do us the greatest gift and the greatest privilege that you could do for anyone? And that is, would you, as it says in Psalms 119, would you open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law? Would you move me aside, Father, so that I do not hinder it? And get in the way of anything that you want to say to any one of us here today. That, that you might speak to our hearts. That we might walk away from here feeling more assured in who we are in Christ than ever before. Father, please, bless us. Thank you so much for your son. Thank you so much for this church. I, I pray, Father, for actually this school this elementary school that has allowed us the, the privilege of meeting here on a Sunday morning. I pray you'll bless this school. I pray you'll bless the kids and the families of the children that come here and the teachers that teach the children. I pray that you'll bless us as we meet here and that we will be a light into this community. That we will be, Father, someone that, in a group of people that will uh, that might, by the grace of an almighty God, change the hearts of some people who live around here that never ever contemplated the thought of knowing you. I thank you for Joe who helped find us this place. I thank you for those that, that, that just made all of this work. Thank you for those that volunteer and help so much here at this church. Now bless us, Father, as we study your word. Make it a place that is just so full of the wonderful things that Paul teaches us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. We went over some of this last week. I want you to know that. You already do, so those of you here. But what is so important are there's some key words, and I didn't have the time to go through them last week, knowing that we'd go through them this week. Paul wants us to be assured of our faith. Let me read to you again verses 23 to 26. We're going to kind of concentrate on these few verses. Paul reminds us in verse 23 that we've all sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. But he says in verse 24, we are, and here's some of the key words. The, some of the key words are justified, gift and freely, grace, redemption, propitiation, blood, faith, and righteousness. Nine words that, that I point out to. I don't, by no way is this the only words. You can choose a few more or a few less. But these words lets us know about the assurance of who we are in Christ. And so, we say, so Paul says we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Okay, though. 
He says, but we are being justified freely. Now, in the New King James, it says we are freely justified. In the New American Standard, it says we are justified as a gift by His grace, God's unmerited favor, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Paul writes, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation, word is payment, in His blood through faith, this was to demonstrate His righteousness. You see, we have no righteousness of our own. In Isaiah 64, it says our righteousness is like a filthy rag. We have nothing to offer to God. And so Paul is assuring you and me that God then, knowing this, gives us His righteousness. That's what it says here in verse 25. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God, He passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time so that He would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Nine words. Let's take a look at them. Start with the first one. Justified. Key. Amazing word. Justified in the Greek is D-I-K-A-I-O-O. It, it means to declare the rightness of something or someone. In other words, it is like I tried to explain last week. I, I learned in a, a seminary class that I took a long, long time ago. Justified, you, if you have trouble remembering it, it, it's just as if I'd never sinned. Not true, but just as if I'd never sinned. You see, because God says, when you come to His Son, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sin, He takes your sin at that point in time and separates it as far as the east is from the west. Then He says, and I will remember your sin no more. It is just as if I'd never sinned. Now the verb, freely justified, or being justified as a gift, these words are in the present continuous tense. That simply means, as we mentioned last week, that a believer who is in Jesus Christ is in a constant process of being justified freely as a gift. In other words, you always have it. It doesn't Sometimes you have this justification and sometimes you don't know. When you come to Christ, you have it as a continual basis. You always are justified. Justification is much different than the word forgiven. Both of them are important. In salvation, both forgiveness as well as justification enter into God's truth. They are both mentioned. What Paul is teaching us here is due to Jesus Christ, you and I have been declared both, declared forgiven and declared justified. But the word justified is so much bigger. It's so much more grandiose because it says he paid it all. You are now declared not guilty. You might want to hold on to this word. If you have any kind of a, 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 a way in your life where you get yourself down or, or you get down because of difficulties or, or trials or, or, or sin and you start to feel like you're unworthy and you, you don't belong and all of that, hold on to this word justification. Hold on to it. I'll teach you why in a moment, why it's so important. And, it, and I think it'll make so much sense. So hold on to this word. What it means is there is no more legal ground charged against you. 
you have from that point forward justification. You have a perfect standing before God because God doesn't see you or me anymore. He sees Christ in us. And Christ is God's perfection given so that you and I might have life. So we are now seen perfect in God's sight. Reason? Because of Jesus Christ. We are now justified before God, freed from guilt and sin. Now, does that mean we don't sin anymore? No. No, wish it was, but we don't. We sin. But the, the point of it is, is through the study of the Word of God, through, through our growth in Christ, we get to a place where we don't sin as much as we used to. At least that's the way it should be. We should study and know the Word of God to where, where we get to a place where whereas we used to sin so frequently. I, I, when I was first believer, I'd go, I thought I'd drive myself nuts trying to always stay on top of my sin. I, I sinned again. Oh, Father, forgive me. Blah, blah, blah. And I'd say it over and over to where I got to a place where I thought, you know, not you again. You know, he's going to say, you up here again? What's, what's, what are you, crazy? And I got that feeling like it was just too much. And now it gets to a place in, in your life, and, and, and I go by the authority of none other than Dr. J. Vernon McGee. He never stopped sinning, but he got to a place where, where he wasn't going there as often as he used to. That all of a sudden it, you realize, wow, it's been a few days. It's been a week or so since I've, I've asked the Lord to forgive me of that thing that I used to do so often. And that's the process as you mature and grow our sin has been paid for in full. We are now freed from guilt and sin. Second word by definition is, well, actually kind of two words, gift and freely given. In other words, it is a gift. It's, it's God has given it to you and me. For by grace you and I have been saved through faith and not, our, not of ourselves. It is a gift of God we, it is unearned. It is unmerited. God's greatest gift to mankind is salvation. Salvation that is given through His Son, who was freely given for, as a gift to you and me, to mankind. It is out of God's divine grace, His unmerited favor, that He gives you the gift of eternal life. Listen to what Paul says concerning how this is unearned. You see, to try to earn it, people worked, as we learned last week, under the law. And, and Paul is saying, no, the law can't save you. The law is only given to show you that you're a sinner. The law is only given to show you how desperately you need a Savior. The law doesn't help. And in Galatians chapter 2, I believe it's verse 21. Yes, Galatians 2, 21 Paul says, if righteousness comes through the law, he says, then Jesus Christ died needlessly. And you know that God did not give His Son just to die for, for whatever. He, he gave His Son to die for a purpose. And if you could earn your salvation through the law, then Jesus Christ died needlessly, Paul writes. On the other hand, the word grace not only reveals God's righteousness, but it actually gives His righteousness to those who trust in His Son. That gift of grace cost God greatly. It came through the suffering and the death of His Son, Jesus Christ. 
so that for the believer, for you and for me, there's nothing left that we can do. Our sin has been paid for in full. How do we know? The next word. The word is redemption. In the Greek, it's kind of a long word, A-P-O-L-U-T-R-O-S-I-S. It, it carries the idea of a price being paid in full. In other words, it was commonly used in paying a ransom or a price for, for, uh, to liberate a prisoner or to free a slave from his or her master. Because of our sinfulness, our inability to bring ourselves up to God's standard, and that's what Paul is teaching us, we cannot get God's righteousness in our own power. Only a sinless Savior could pay the price to redeem sinful mankind, you and me. And the price was His blood that He shed upon the cross. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, it says it clearly. The writer of Hebrews writes, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. That was initiated long ago, way back in the garden. When, when Adam and Eve fell, when they sinned, and they, they recognized that they were naked, and they, they put fig leaves together. What did God do? God went and made them a garment of an animal skin to cover them. What did He do? Well, He took an animal, He sacrificed that, shed the, the blood of an animal for the forgiveness of sin, and He covered Adam and Eve with the skin of an animal. And that's been the process all along. In the Old Testament, it was the blood of, of, of animals. But in the New Testament, it's the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Now, in the Greek, there are three meanings for this one word, redemption. Really important. One meaning means is, is, is you've been redeemed. In other words, it means you've been paid for and you are owned by the one who purchased you. A second meaning of redemption is you've been paid for you are owned by the one who purchased you, but now he can do with you as he wishes. He can either resell you, he can uh, use you for his own, he can do with you as he wishes. Third meaning is the meaning that is written here within this place in Scripture in Romans chapter 3, verse 25. It is, you have been purchased. You are now owned by the one who purchased you. But then the one who purchased you sets you free and you are never to be sold again. You are completely free. The sin, your, your ransom has been paid for in full. The last meaning of the word redemption is what Paul is talking about here. You and I have been paid for in full. And we have also been set free by God never never to be enslaved to sin again. If you and I are enslaved to sin, it's our own fault. We need to grow in the Lord and in that place where we get to, where we, we find ourselves sinning less and less and less. It can happen. 
It happens through the study of the Word of God. It happens through you taking the Bible and reading it and, and making it almost a, a part of you to when you, you want to do something wrong. It's, it's like, uh, I always use this dumb example, but you know, when you're driving, maybe this is too revealing. When you're driving, you know, and someone pulls in front of you, instead of letting them know that they're the number one driver in all of the world, you know, you catch yourself before you do that and you find yourself thinking, Wait a minute, wait a minute, why would I be mad at them? Maybe, maybe they're going through a difficult time. Maybe they're rushing home because someone's hurt. Maybe they're in desperate need. And instead of being angry with them, you start praying for them. And that's a whole turnabout in your life if you find yourself doing that. And you can. You can, you can get your life to where you, you start thinking that way instead of the other. Start considering other people as more important than yourself. It's, it's what is talked about here. When we've been redeemed, we have been paid for in full. We are completely set free. We are never to be enslaved to sin again. Now listen closely to the next word because it's critical. The word is propitiation. Well, what in the world does that mean? It says in verse 25, whom God displayed publicly, talking about His Son as a propitiation, a payment, in His blood through faith. Because you and I cannot, we cannot become righteous on our own. God had to provide for us His redemption. He had to provide for us a payment so as to atone for our sin. He had to give a sacrifice. And look how Paul describes this event. It's really quite beautiful. Look at verse 25. For the demonstration, no, excuse me, verse 25, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. The sacrifice that our Lord gave was not made in the dark. It was not made in some corner that nobody could see it. No, it was made openly. It was publicly as, as seen for everybody as a payment for sin. Jesus Christ died so that the world could see that He died and shed His blood for our sin. And was the Lord God pleased with His Son's sacrifice? Propitiation. It is in the Greek H-I-L-A-S-T-E-R-I-O-N. It carries the basic idea of appeasement or satisfaction. In other words, in the Bible, this word's usage runs much deeper. It means to appease through a sacrifice. And a propitiation in Scripture always refers to the work of God, not mankind. In other words, what Paul is saying is you couldn't do it for yourself or for another person. God had to do it for you. It, it's not something that you and I can do to set ourselves free. Our God had to do it for us. He is the propitiation for you and for me. Now this all happens through faith. In other words, faith in blood. Jesus had to shed His blood. We had to place our faith in Him. Listen to what Peter says. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Listen to Peter. You might want to look it up later. Peter says this, Know this, you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life that was inherited from your forefathers. In other words, this past, this sin was passed on from generation to generation. You were not 
redeemed by gold or silver. No, watch what he says in verse 19. He says, rather, you have been redeemed with the precious blood as of a lamb, the unblemished and spotless blood of Jesus Christ. That's how you and I have been redeemed, through faith, through blood. The final word that is given to us in this scenario here in verses 24 and 25 is righteousness, but not just righteousness. It is God's righteousness. People, this is so critical. It is all accomplished through one word and one word only. It is the key to Scripture. It is faith. Faith is everything to you and me as a believer. His righteousness can only be given through those who have faith or believe or trust in Him. I want you to see this. Hold your place here, please, and turn with me to the right. You're going to go to Philippians chapter 3. You're going to go past First and Second Corinthians, then Galatians and then Ephesians and then Philippians. Look at Philippians chapter 3 with me, please. It's one of the great, great places in Scripture because it's been written by one of my heroes, uh, Paul. I absolutely love him. God's righteousness accomplished through faith. Paul proudly proclaims in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, 8, and 9. Watch. Paul says, verse 7, Whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Now, Paul's life was, he had everything going for himself. As a Jew, he was a Jew's Jew. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He, would, he was, uh, as far as intelligence, he was one of the brightest of the bright. And as far as in his class, he had to be one of the most intelligent of them all. And he says, whatever things were gained for me, I've count these things as loss for the sake of Christ. Goes on to say, more than that. Now what? More than, more than all of these things that you say is, is a, a, you count as loss for the sake of Christ? Yes, he says. I count all things, all things to be lost in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. I mean... I hope you can see and touch and feel the very heartbeat of Paul. Why I can't wait to meet this guy. I mean, just everything about him just comes out of a, of a life that just oozes out the love of Jesus Christ. And you've got to know, he's not saying this so that you and I think more highly of him. No, he's writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He is writing this being directed by God. This man had a heart of hearts for the Lord. He said, I count all things to be lost for the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. Now here comes the key. Verse 9. Paul's statement in all of this that he received and suffered so that, look, verse 9, so that he might be found in him, in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. In other words, Paul says, I kept the law. As far as the law is concerned, perfect. He says, no, no, I don't want to be found in him having my own righteousness, which was derived from the law. He says, no, I want to have a righteousness that is, note the end of verse 9, through 
faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That's it. Faith. Faith is the only way you and I can receive it. Faith is the only way that we can walk out of here feeling so secure in who we are because of all that our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. Now let me tell you about two concepts that is a common mistake as far as I can see concerning faith. First, people often make a mistake concerning how much faith they have or they don't have. All of us have some friends that have just giant faith. When we first started this church, I think it was nine years ago, Laura Chandler was one of the founding fathers of this church. And she was a woman of faith. I wanted to quit. It was just too much for me. It was, I was done. She wouldn't let us. She just wouldn't let us. She saw what God was going to do. She saw all of this. She saw it. She was a woman of faith. Some people have great faith, some not so much. That's why within a church we need people with great faith. So those of us who don't have so much can follow you, can see where you're going, and we'll follow you to where you're going. We, we, we see that you have a per- great, great faith in a great, great God. But some never find this true Christian joy because they don't feel like they have enough faith. And that's a sad place to be. Let me, try to, let me try to cure you of this. People who have little faith seek to have their faith in their faith. That'll never work. You've got to have your faith in your Savior. I know that might sound like I'm mixing words, but it's, it's, the, it's the essence of everything. To understand what we've been talking about this morning, to understand these words and all that Jesus Christ has given to you because of His death upon the cross... And to have faith in your faith, that isn't, that isn't where you want to have your faith. You want to have your faith in Jesus Christ who gives everything to you. When Paul says, I count all things lost in the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. His faith was in his Lord, not in himself or in his faith. Second mistake. People sometimes place their faith in the wrong things. Listen, Faith is a common bond. All of us have faith. I mean, look at you guys. You're all sitting on elementary school chairs. How, how many of you thought that those chairs were going to hold you up? I sure didn't. Not this big old bottom of mine. You have faith. You have faith in the chairs you sit in. You have faith in the pills you take. The car you drive, when you drive home, you're going down the hill. You believe that you, when you step on your brakes, that car is going to stop. You have faith in that. You have faith in doctors, elevators, the water we drink. But this is not saving faith. No, there is but one saving faith. I want you to see it. I want you to see it clearly. I I, I think we'll close with this. I want you to turn with me to, you can hold your place here, but look at 1 John, right in the back of the Bible, just before the book of Revelation. 1 John chapter 5. I really do want you to turn here with me. There's a 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and 1st and John comes right after 2nd Peter. There's 1st, 2nd Peter, uh, you go to Hebrews, James, 1st, 2nd Peter, and then you'll come to 1st John. Look at 1st John chapter 5. Saving faith only becomes saving faith when it's placed in the right place. And Scripture says that it's only one place that you can place 
faith and have all that God wants to give you. 1 John chapter 5, verses 10, 11, 12, and 13 happened to be very dear to me. It was uh, back way back when, when I was uh, dating Kay in Hawaii that, that a, a gentleman told me about 1 John 5. And I read, and I read some words that um, somehow or another they made sense to me. And somehow or another they changed my life. I now know it was the Lord moving in my heart. But at that time I, I just didn't know what was going on. But I just knew I, just knew I wanted to be saved whatever that meant. Listen to 1 John chapter 5, starting with verse 10. It says, The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made God a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. You see, verse 10 is great. Verse 10 tells you that God has a testimony concerning His Son. And His Son has a special place. Who is the Son of God? Critical to know. Because some cults have based their whole philosophy on the fact that Jesus Christ never claimed to be God. That's a terrible place to find yourself. Because clearly our Lord said that He was God. I and the Father are one. Not One in essence and all the things that you'll hear, but one. And when the Jews heard this, when the Jews heard Jesus said this, they picked up stones to stone him. And he asked them why. And they said, because of blasphemy. He asked them, was it because of the things that I've done? They said, oh no, not because of the things you've done, because of blasphemy. You, making yourself, you being a man, you have just made yourself out to be God. They knew what he was saying. So does everybody else. You just have to have another agenda. So what the, what the Bible is saying here in verse 10 is that, that, that God has a testimony concerning His Son. And you either believe it or you don't. But if you don't, you make God a liar because you haven't believed the testimony that He gave concerning His own Son. Verse 11. And the testimony is this. Well, if you're reading the Bible and you come to that, you've got to say, whoa, slow down. What does this mean? I better listen. Here's the testimony of God. What is it? And he says, God has, verse 11, God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Verse 12, the person who has the Son has the life. Talking about eternal life. And the one who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. It it seems like you either have them or you don't, doesn't it? It seems like, just like Dr. J. Vernon McGee says, you're either a saint or you ain't. There's not a middle ground. You either have them or you don't. Verse 12, read it again. The one who has the Son has the life, and the one who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. And then verse 13. John writes, These things I have written to you, who believe in the Son of God in order that you might know, meaning you might know right now that you have, have right now everlasting life. There is no greater words in all of Scripture than these words because it narrows it down and it brings it to a place where all of us can understand if we don't have an agenda that we want to keep. 
our religious agenda. No. Salvation, the Bible is clear, only comes through Jesus Christ. And faith, faith comes in Him and Him alone. And that is saving faith. Jesus Himself said, you, you only need the faith the size of a mustard seed. That's all you need. You don't need great faith. The reason He said that is it's really interesting. He was... He was, he was with his disciples, and, and, and some guy had a son who was uh, paraplegic. He was, he was, it says in the Bible, in the New American Standard, he was a lunatic. I, I, he was, he was demon-possessed. And they asked, the, the, the father asked the disciples to, to cure his son, and they couldn't. So he brings his son to, the, to Jesus Christ, and he says, your, your disciples couldn't, couldn't cure my son. And he said, oh, those guys, those guys. He says, bring him to me, and he heals them. And the disciples came to him and said, Jesus, why couldn't we have done that? Here's what he says in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. He said to them, because of the littleness of your faith, for truly I say to you, if you just had faith the size of a mustard seed, you should say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing shall be impossible for you. I want you to walk away from here today more assured of your faith than ever before, not because of, of anything that you have or anything that you are. I want you to walk away from here assured in your faith because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And I want you to place your faith, not in your faith, but I want you to place your faith in Jesus. And then when you start to doubt your faith Go and read and study about Jesus Christ and you will find your strength in Him, not in your faith. It was never meant to be that you and I would be assured because of who we are. It was always clear in Scripture. You and I were to be assured in who we are as believers because of whom we believe in, Jesus Christ, not in ourselves. Having faith in your faith is irrelevant. Have faith in Jesus Christ. And with us in this church, come and let us grow together so that you get to know Him. So that you get to know Him so strongly and so boldly that you'll never be the same. That your life will change and the community in which you and I live will change as well. We'll reach out to our loved ones. We'll reach out to our family and friends and those in this, this neighborhood that, that maybe don't come to church and maybe by the grace of God they will because of your life and my life. Well, I say happy anniversary to you. I say also thank you for coming to church. Let's make Sunday morning something really special here in this, uh, this school and uh, see what God has in store for us. Um, I am blown away by how many of you came. I didn't know what to expect. Um, next Saturday evening, we'll meet at, the, for those that can come only on Saturday, we'll meet at First B, but we'll see what happens there because we're not sure of the cost of it and all of that, so we'll see. But next Sunday at 9 o'clock and at 11 o'clock in the morning, we'll meet here. And we're going to have the greatest, greatest time of our lives. You're going to fall in love all over again with this body of believers, our church, 
and your Savior. Father, thank you for who you are. You love us so much. It's hard, hard for us to really even comprehend how much you love us, Lord. But we thank you for it. By faith, we thank you for it. Some of us here this morning don't feel so assured of all of that. But Father, we can't deny your word. Paul's trying to, trying to set the people in Rome so free so that they can make an impact in their community. And I guess I'm doing the same thing here, Father, the best I know how. Trying to set us free so that we will impact this community of ours. Now again, Father, if there's anyone that, that has gone astray, wherever they've gone, God bless them, please, Father. And if they found a good church home, praise the Lord. That's good. But if they feel like they uh, maybe can't come back because they left for a while, please let us assure them that that's, that's not even close to true. They are so welcome back. Now bless us, Father. Thank you for this place. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I love you all more than you'll ever know. Thanks for coming. Thank you so much.